Hello everybody, this is our third sermon looking at the letter of Philippians. Uh, Today we are in Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 to 30. Our series is entitled How to Follow Christ in a Challenging World and the answer that we find today is that we are to stand firm together. Now, I need to apologise to those members of the congregation who do not like sport, because for the second week running, I'm going to begin with an illustration from the world of football. But how can I not after the week we have just had, where the sports news was on both front and back pages of the papers? The Super League was a grotesque and greedy scheme by the owners of the wealthiest football clubs in Europe to make even more money for themselves. It was supposed to be the creation of a competition where the big clubs got more matches on TV and the smaller clubs lost out because they were never allowed to enter. Now, these club owners had hatched their plan through months of clandestine meetings behind closed doors. They'd got the backing of a major investment bank to the tune of €4 billion and they had employed one of the world's leading PR companies to generate the spin required to get their breakaway competition into the media spotlight. They thought they had everything necessary in place, so last Sunday, with great fanfare, they announced it to the world. Yet, by just 48 hours later, their plans had been blown out of the water. In fact, these multi-billionaire owners, so used to getting their own way, had to come with their tails between their legs and apologise to their club's supporters. What caused this dramatic and ignominious collapse? Well, it was one thing. The whole football world came together and fought against the plan. The fans, incensed by the trashing of history and tradition and the sheer injustice of the scheme, took to social media and the streets to protest. Pundits used their prominent platforms to call out the greed of it all. The managers and players of every club complained and did interviews, even those managers and players employed by the owners who had devised it all. Politicians on all sides of the House of Commons started to see what tools they had in their power to stop the competition. Even Prince William got involved, saying he would do all he could to prevent the Super League going ahead. From princes to the public, young and old, male and female, anyone who loved the game, united in opposition and forced the abandonment of the scheme. For a story that began with such sickening selfishness, it ended up an inspiring tale of just what is possible when people of principle stand firm together. We are looking at the Apostle Paul's inspiring letter to the Philippians, and we're going to discover today that he had a similar request of them. He too wanted that small church of relatively inexperienced believers to stand firm together. Let us remember the context of Paul's writing. Paul has been arrested for his faith. He is now chained up in prison, awaiting trial, and he genuinely does not know which way the verdict is going to go. 
In a few short days he might be released, or he might face the highest penalty. There is a very real chance he could be put to death. Consequently, Paul is unsure whether he will ever see the church family at Philippi again. And remember, the church at Philippi are dear friends of Paul. They had sacrificially sent a financial gift to help feed him in prison. So in his uncertainty, Paul has taken the time to write what could be his final letter to his friends. It was to say thank you for their love and support. And it was to offer what final advice and encouragement he could to help the Philippians in a time of trial that they were all going through. Our passage today is only a very short section of the letter, but it contains some crucial teaching that is just as relevant to us today as it was 2,000 years ago. Paul writes that whatever the future may hold, whether he gets to see his Philippian friends again or not, there is one thing he wants for them. He wants them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And in their situation, that means one thing in particular. He wants them to stand firm. He wants them to stand firm against the winds of persecution that have him in jail, possibly facing death. He wants them to stand firm against the immorality of the city they live in, the idolatry, emperor worship and pagan rituals, as well as the immoral excess of the Roman way of life. He wants them to stand firm against the new heresies that are springing up and are a danger to the church and the true preaching of the gospel. And he wants them to stand firm against disappointment. None of these young believers in Philippi would have expected the great Apostle Paul to have been taken away from them in such violent circumstances. For some of them, Paul's suffering would have made them question their faith. They had to stand firm against the doubts. Now, of course, our situation here on Isla is different to that which the Philippians faced during the first century, but we too face similar challenges. We are fortunate not to face violent persecution, but there is the sense that our government no longer shares the same values that we do. There is much immorality in society. Just the content of TV shows, magazines and the internet can be a danger to our ongoing discipleship. There is heresy about, as the gospel is watered down in certain places. We must remain on our guard. And there certainly is much disappointment. Our experience of the pandemic, the low numbers attending church compared to the past, these can make us start to wobble a bit make us start to doubt our faith, just as the young believers in Philippi were tempted to do all those years ago. So as we read this letter today, Paul's instruction still holds. We are to stand firm in our faith together. But how are we to do that? What resources can we draw on? In these four verses, Paul gives the Philippians four practical tips. Let's have a look at them. The first tip Paul gives us is that believers who are facing challenge must remember what Christ has done in the past. They are to stand firm on the achievement of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb. Paul says in verse 27, 
whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm. So, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. How can we do that without taking time to remember what the gospel actually is? You see, the only reason we have to want to stand firm when opposition comes our way is that which Christ has already done on our behalf. We are to remember the sacrifice he made for us, the agony he experienced on the cross. We are to remember that the perfectly innocent, glorious Son of God had his body broken and his blood shed in the most cruel and unjust of ways. And he went through with it all purely because he loved us. This is what the great writer Isaac Watts was getting at in the final verse of his classic hymn on the cross. When he took the time to survey the sacrifice of Jesus, he realised that it was such an act of wondrous grace and mercy that it demanded a response of him. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Christians remember that without the cross and resurrection of Jesus, they have nothing. They are trapped in their sin and heading for death. Yet with it, they have everything. Forgiveness, love and the promise of eternal life. When we consider the gospel, the least we can do is make the effort to hold on to Christ, to give ourselves to live for him, come what may. Paul uses an interesting word to help us reflect a bit further on this. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. The word translated conduct is the Greek word used to describe the behaviour expected of a citizen of the state, the behaviour expected of a citizen of Rome. Philippi was a Roman colony, and the people of the city were very proud of this status. Their pride was reflected in their language, dress and customs. They'd given up their ancient traditions and taken on Roman ones. In other words, they honoured Caesar by acting Roman. Their conduct was part of their worship. What Paul is implying here is that when we take the time to remember our past, to remember what Christ achieved on the cross, we will realise that we are citizens of a greater empire than Rome. As believers, we are citizens of the glorious and eternal kingdom of God. And our conduct must now start to reflect that. We are to act in gospel ways, to act like Jesus. Particularly, we are to stand firm when opposition comes and not let go of the Lord who gave his very life for us. So Paul's first tip on how to stand firm is to remember what Christ has done in the past. Tip two comes in the very next verse and is that we are to unite with other believers. Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. Stand firm in the one spirit. What does Paul mean by that? When Paul was converted by the risen Christ on the Damascus Road, he was called by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. God wanted the good news of Jesus to break out of Israel and spread right around the world. Paul believed then to his very core that the gospel had the power to cross all boundaries. In Philippi, he had seen the truth of that in action. If you read about his stay in the city in Acts 16, you will see people from all classes, ages and genders coming to faith. There was Lydia, the merchant businesswoman from the upper echelons of society. There was the anonymous slave girl who conversely occupied the very bottom rung of the ladder. There was the Roman jailer and his working middle class household. All of these had come to believe in Jesus and thereby had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. To Paul, this is what unites us as believers. This is what makes us brothers and sisters in the one family of God. We have the same Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. How dare we cast aside another believer of any other denomination, race, gender or background when the same God is in us all? To Paul, this was unthinkable. So when believers face challenges, Paul wants Christians to unite with their brothers and sisters and stand together. For two or three are always stronger than one. As Paul writes about standing firm together, he probably has a clear image in mind. He is writing to a church in a Roman colony, a people used to seeing Roman soldiers about the place. I'm sure you learnt at school that when Roman soldiers were attacked, they came together and lifted their shields to form an impenetrable wall. It was their united discipline that kept them safe when the arrows came flying. Paul believes the same for the church. There is a famous saying, United we stand, divided we fall. Paul would have wholeheartedly agreed with that. When under pressure, believers are to unite with their brothers and sisters and stand firm together. We are to pray for each other, support one another, provide for one another. We are to hold each other up until the threat goes away and our family members can stand once more on their own. This week, the football community did this and fought off billionaire businessmen. With the gospel, we have an even greater cause to stand for. If the church unites, God will see to it that we will not fall. So tip one on standing firm was that we are to remember what Christ has achieved for us in the past. Tip two was for believers to unite together. Tip three is that we are to carry on striving for the faith. Paul knew that there was a danger in using the language of standing firm. And that is that it sounds static. The Philippians may have thought that they were to batten down the hatches and not move, pouring all their strength into keeping the ground they already had. Not so. Paul thinks that standing firm and pressing forward go hand in hand. Listen to what he says next. 
Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Quite simply, doing nothing is not good for us. A church that tries to stand still soon finds itself going backwards. Apathy and decline soon kick in. Despite the challenges they face then, Paul wants the Philippians to carry on the gospel work, to keep speaking of Jesus and to try living attractive, holy lives amongst the vice of the city. Extending the military metaphors that he has been using, Paul thinks that when an army go into action together, camaraderie develops. They go from being just brothers and sisters to brothers and sisters in arms. When the church continues to give themselves to the work of the gospel, even in the face of opposition, they start to see the power of God at work. They see the Holy Spirit coming through for them. They see prayers answered and this deepens their resolve and confidence. When we just get on with the task that God has given us, we begin to discover that actually we're not afraid anymore. Paranoia and fear develop when you're stood still. Keep pressing on and our natural anxieties are put in their rightful place. Paul knows from experience that when you actively strive for the faith, God provides all the strength you need to meet the challenges that will come your way. So we've now had three tips on how to stand firm for God. We are to remember what Christ has done for us in the past. We are to unite with other believers and we're to keep striving for the faith. There is one final tip to come. And it is another reminder of the glorious good news of Jesus. Paul's fourth tip for believers facing difficulty is that they are to look forwards with hope. In the final two verses, Paul points his readers' attention to the promises that one day they will be vindicated for the stand they have made. Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved and that by God. Paul pulls no punches. Ultimately, on the day that Christ returns, those who have believed in him and have kept the faith will be saved. Those that have refused Christ, opposed Christ or drifted away will be lost. The promise of the gospel is that evil was defeated at the cross and in the end it will be removed for good from God's creation. This is why we must ensure that we make our stand on the right side. For the Philippians, this was a promise of good news. For people of faith in every age, this is a summary of our hope. The threat is for those causing us trouble. In simple terms, the Bible tells us that in the end, God wins. And if we have stood firm on his side, we will enjoy the spoils. An eternity of peace and joy in the presence of God will make our present difficulties pale into insignificance. To Paul, this hope is so strong, it even has the power to turn our experience of suffering into worship. To those believers in Philippi who are beginning to doubt their faith because of what they saw Paul experiencing, Paul wants them to know that his suffering is not pointless. Indeed, in his eyes, it's a privilege. 
when Paul receives grief for being a Christian, he knows he's on the right track because after all, that's how the world treated Christ. So Paul raises up his experiences to God as an offering of praise. I am in prison for you, O Lord, because you are worth it. Your son suffered for me and I'm prepared to suffer for him. You can only begin to think like that when you have a hope that is strong enough to stand even in the face of death. A hope that carries the promise that one day your stand of faith will be vindicated. This is the hope that Paul turned to in prison and he encourages the Philippians and all of us these years later to turn to the same. We began this sermon using the illustration of how the football community stood firm together to defeat a scheme that went against all of their values. We've now seen Paul encourage the church to do the same. At the time, Paul faced an uncertain future. He did not know whether he would live or die. But he knew that come what may, the believers in Philippi that he cared about would go on facing trials of their own. He wanted the Philippians to expect this. He wanted them to stand firm together. The advice he gave that church is just as relevant for us today. We too are to remember the past, to root ourselves in all that Christ has already done for us. We are to unite together as brothers and sisters. Wouldn't it be great if all the Christians on Isla began to stand strong together? We're to carry on striving for the gospel, pushing forward where possible, taking the opportunities that come our way to speak of Jesus. And we're to do everything full of hope for our future is secure. In these things, we will stand firm together until the day when all our challenges are over.